0: from God's Word. We're going to read from God's Word this morning. Uh, We're going to be reading from Matthew uh, chapter 13, verse 44 through 46. That's Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 through 46. You can find that on page 819 in the black Bibles around you. Verse 44, chapter 13. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, My name is Aaron. I'm one of the elders here here at Trailhead, and uh, it's my privilege to be able to open the word with you this morning. This is our final uh, final message in our series on the parables. Next week, we will begin our new series, and it's on the book of Romans. And we're very excited about this. Um, we are going to be doing a real deep dive into the book of Romans. We're going to be taking our time and working through uh, this incredibly rich, deep, deep letter um, and what the Apostle Paul wrote To the Romans in the first century and what that has to say to us. As a part of this series, um, we have study books that uh, have been put together by a team here at Trailhead, and these are available for you to use uh, as we dig into Romans. We would highly encourage everybody to pick one of these up. They're on a table out there in the foyer. We would love it. If you would like to help us kind of defray the costs, a $5 donation would be very beneficial. However, if that's outside of your financial means, don't let that stop you. Please pick one up. If $5 is super easy for you and you'd like to help somebody else and you would like to pay a little bit extra, that would be beneficial as well. But we would like everybody to have one of these books. These books are meant to help you engage the Scripture ahead of time so that going into the week, so like if you pick it up this week, you go ahead and get started and it prepares you for next week's sermon. So that you already come in prepared and having a sense of where we're going. And then we also hopefully will be using these books in your community groups to help guide our discussion. So it's a way for you to be engaged throughout the week before, during the sermon. There are pages for, stu- uh, for, for, for notes during the sermon as well. And then to use in your community groups as well. So really cool tool. Highly recommend that you pick one of these up on your way out today. All right. But that's next week. Let's talk about uh, parables this week. This is our, like I said, our final sermon in the parables series. However, it's not like the last parable in the Bible. If you've been here all summer as we've worked through these, um, these amazing little stories that Jesus uses to reveal these really deep, deep, profound truths, just in these short little, and, and today two of the shortest parables of all but we're going to see some really deep truths underneath them. And what Jesus does with these parables is he gives us these concrete pictures to help us understand some very abstract truths. Some very high or, or deep... Are those like opposites? Can you say something as high and deep at the same time? Is that just a... Okay. Um, but these really would be for us very difficult to grasp concepts, but Jesus grounds them in these very just, we can picture, we can especially, his audience at the time, these were like every day, like, oh, of course, I know exactly what that looks like. And so what we do as we approach parables, and, and let me just give you this, so there are a whole bunch of other parables throughout the New Testament that we haven't even touched on. And so as you continue to read and as you dig into scripture yourself, when you come up against one, here's what we do and here's how you can approach any other parable. And it's very straightforward and it's what we've been doing all summer long. It's what we'll do this morning and it's what you can do this on your own as well. You look at the concrete story itself and you ask, okay, what is this saying? Like what specifically is the the, the solid like story? What's going on? And from that, What is the abstract principle? What is the truth? What is the deeper meaning about God, about people, about Jesus? What is Jesus trying to say that he's using this story as a picture of, but he's actually talking about this more kind of intellectual or spiritual truth? And then you say, okay, and so that's the spiritual truth. There was the concrete picture then. What does that look like for me today? So I go from the picture Jesus used to the truth that he's explaining, and then I put it into a real form in my life, what does that look like? Somebody, uh, I read this once, I would love to take credit for this, but I, I don't remember where I got this from, but a really simple way to remember this structure. When you read, and you can do it with any scripture, but I think it's really helpful with parables, and it's three questions, say what, so what, and now what? Say what, so what, now what? Say what, what is he talking about? What does this mean? What is the actual story? So what, why does that matter? Why is that important? What's the deeper truth behind all of this that's driving this? And then now what? What do I do about this? If this is true, if I'm understanding what God's trying to tell me, how does that change and transform my life? So that's what we're going to do today. I'm going to use these three questions just to kind of frame as we look at these two, again, really short, but really deep parables. And we're going to say, what is Jesus saying? Why does it matter? And what would those truths look like in our lives today? Simple enough? Let's take a look at it. So here we go. So our first question, say what? What is Jesus talking about? Um, Jesus gives us two really quick pictures of two men, who both find something that they perceive to be extremely valuable. In the first one, it, it's it's not made explicitly clear what it is. It's just treasure. In the second one, it is very clearly stated. It's a, a fine pearl, a pearl of great value. In that second one, in that second one, we understand that this is something. This this. this pearl is something this man has been looking for in fact he's devoted his entire life for the search for this type of thing he's a merchant who sells pearls he uses pearls for his benefit but he's constantly on the lookout for bigger and better and the right ones He buys and sells for his own benefit what he finds to be valuable. And yet, in Jesus' story, he comes across one pearl that flips everything upside down. Because this pearl is so outstanding that instead of, in the past, he always sold pearls so that he could get himself stuff, Now he finds this pearl and he sells all his stuff to get the pearl. There's something about it that is different than all the other pearls he's looked for before. So that man found treasure because he was searching for it. In the first story, the guy who finds what we just refer to as the treasure hidden in the field, he wasn't searching for it. In fact, the language would lead us to believe he was just going about his daily routine. He's most likely at work. He's in a field. And he comes across a treasure. And, and understanding the, the legal situation in that day, and, and, and it's kind of complicated if you study what the law was exactly. If he, fa- if he were to find a treasure, if he were to lift it out... So this was like a buried treasure. If he lifted it out, it would be considered stealing. But leaving it there and covering it up, he goes out, he sells everything he has so he can buy the field, and then the treasure becomes legally his. He's not expecting it, and yet when he finds this treasure, on seeing it, he recognizes that he needs this treasure so much so that he's willing to give away everything else to purchase the field to get to the treasure. From the outside, watching this guy, most people would say he's crazy. Why are you selling everything you have to buy a field? But we know, hearing Jesus' story, that it's perfectly logical because the treasure... That he's found is worth more than anything he could sell. That he looks at it and it's very straightforward. Everything I own pales in value to the treasure that's hidden in that field. So to give up everything I have to get that treasure makes perfect sense. It's a net gain. I'm richer for having the treasure. From the outside looking in, it's ridiculous. But knowing what he knows, having seen what he has seen, it makes perfect sense. So the commonality between both these stories is is pretty obvious. Both of these men, one who was searching, one who was not. One who was looking for something of great value, one who was totally surprised by it. Both of them, on seeing this treasure understood and grasped the value of it, and because they understood it, were willing to go to extreme lengths to grasp a hold of, to hang on to, to make that treasure their own. Discovering this treasure absolutely changed their lives. And this is what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that there is a treasure that if we grasp a hold of it if we see it for what it really is it will absolutely change our lives it will transform our values it will change our priorities it will upend the way we look at the world so what is the treasure In this story that Jesus is telling, what is this abstract meaning? What is the treasure? What would motivate anyone to give up everything just to grasp this one thing? What is this, in the second story, what is this pearl of such great value? This pearl, this treasure... Is the truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. What Jesus refers to it here as the kingdom of heaven. It's the story of the entire world, punctuated by the most beautiful truth, the greatest treasure of all time. It's the story that, that God created this world, and when He created the world, He created it imperfection imperfect peace and he created mankind to be a part of and to enjoy and to fellowship with him in this perfect world and yet we humans broke the world with our sin with our rebellion against him we shattered what he gave us the perfection that he created we put wrong and now we live in a broken world and yet he in his love in his mercy and in his grace started and set in motion and has continually worked a plan to set things right again that and it began in in ancient history with a man named Abraham And God made a promise to him that through his family, he would bless the entire world. And so much of what is written in scripture is the story of that man's family and his descendants and the nation that grew from his family. And them working through and walking with and struggling against God and the promise he made to them and waiting and waiting and waiting for this promised salvation, this promised Messiah, which means chosen one, the one who's going to come and set everything right again. And then, when we get into the New Testament, he arrives, and it's Jesus Christ. And he comes through that line, through the family of Abraham. And he comes and he lives the perfect life. And he doesn't, sin. He doesn't rebel against God. He does everything we should have done. And then he takes on himself the punishment that we all deserve for having broken God's beautiful and perfect world. The sin of each of us individually and the whole world collectively, he takes it all on himself. And he allows himself to be arrested, to be tortured, to be Crucified, brutally executed to take the punishment we deserved. And then he rises again. He defeats death. And in doing so, he defeats sin. And he declares that there is a path to knowing God, and it's through him. And because he took our punishment on Himself, and because He defeated sin and He defeated death, that when we trust in Him, that when we place our faith in Him and what He did for us, that we can be set right. And not only through His resurrection does He make the way right between us and God, but also He is pulling together and working to restore this entire broken world. That all of what God created perfectly will again be made right. And Jesus is restoring this broken world and he's doing it through individuals and collectively through this new group, this new family, this new body, which in the the Bible is referred to as the church. And that we who have trusted in him are entrusted with the mission of declaring to others this beautiful truth. This treasure, this pearl, that God, by His grace and in His goodness, because of His mercy, has made a way for us to be made whole again. And that, that truth that Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose again so that we can know God and know joy and know peace is the most beautiful treasure in the entire world. And if it's true, if that's true, that Jesus Christ really did live, die, and rise again, and that we are invited into a relationship with Him, and invited into the mission of telling that story to the entire world who desperately needs to hear it, then there is nothing, absolutely nothing in the world, that would be more worth living for. If that is true, what else could you possibly want to live for? What else could possibly inspire a greater passion in your heart than the belief that the creator and the sovereign sustainer of the entire universe invites you to be a part of his mission in this world? That's the treasure. And when you encounter that truth, when you hear and understand the ramifications, of that story, it will change you. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying that those who hear and believe the good news, the gospel, will have their lives, their values, their priorities flipped upside down. That you cannot hear and believe that message. And as you dig into and understand the ramifications of that truth through your entire life and what it means for the entire world, there's no way that you can hear that and understand that and remain unchanged. You cannot truly know the depth of the gospel And just continue to live the same life you've always lived. Now there's an important distinction that goes with that. And so let me make sure that we're clear. What Jesus is saying here, and and as we look at the story, is that the beauty of this truth, the value of this treasure, the absolute uh, uh, value of this pearl is so great that it outshines the beauty of everything else. That there will be a motivation in those who see this true beauty to joyfully, that's the phrase he uses in verse 44, in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Jesus is talking about the result of understanding the gospel. And here's the distinction we need to make, and maybe it's a possible misunderstanding of this story, these stories. Jesus is not saying that in order to know God, you must do X, Y, or Z. He's not saying that you have to, let's use the metaphor of the story, sell everything you have in order to know him. Both of these people found the treasure first and it was on seeing the treasure that they were then motivated joyfully to go and transform their lives. Their desires were changed. This is not a story about you better do X, Y, and Z or else. What Jesus is saying Is that the truth and the beauty of the gospel is so incredible that if you get even a taste of it, you will want to transform your life. We cannot truthfully encounter the gospel and not be changed. Why does this matter? Why is this story important? Our second question, so what? And maybe this is the way we want to phrase this. Why is that true? Why would the gospel, why would that story totally transform our lives? Unfortunately, many of us have come to view the gospel, have come to view Jesus, have come to view Church, scripture, all of the, everything spiritual, not as a joy, but as a burden. We rarely, this is sad, but it's, it's just true. And, and I'm saying we because I, I, this is just as much me. We rarely view the gospel as treasure. More often, many of us maybe not everybody, many of us, instead we have this idea of a sort of a religious obligation. A sense of what we must do in order to gain God's favor. We use different phrases. Sometimes we call these spiritual disciplines. I'm not saying those are bad things. But sometimes they become to us our means of performing in order to gain God's approval. And we get in our heads this idea in this sense that what we get from God depends fully on what we put in. That God is a cosmic bank account, and we must first make deposits before we can make withdrawals. And we carry a heavy, heavy weight Believing that maybe, maybe God is good. But I'm going to have to perform in order to find out. And there's a whole bunch of stuff I have to do to gain God's favor. And the gospel in that sense, and Jesus in that sense, becomes not a treasure, but a difficult taskmaster. A silent judge who's just watching and waiting to see if we're going to measure up. And we believe, deep down, we believe there's something good, there's something satisfying, but we have gotten so messed up about how to get there. Look at the pearl merchant again, because this is where he was. He saw pearls and understood that there was value to pearls. Right? He knew they were a good thing, but he saw them as a means to an end. Not as something good in and of themselves. That's how most of us view religion. Many of us. It's a means to an end. It will get me to where I need to be. But in order to get there, I have to go through the steps to get what I want from it. And like the pearl merchant, in search of fine pearls, we seek in many different places trying to find the one way of living, the one way of being, the one way of understanding life which will give us the happiness we desire. And for some of us, that means trying literally different religions, different philosophies. And we've tried out so many different ways of viewing the world, each time seeking, maybe this one will give me enlightenment. Maybe this one will give me fulfillment. Others, it's within the blanket of, we would call ourselves Christians, we see ourselves as church people, but within that, we're still seeking different pearls, what way of worshiping? What way of following God? What steps do I have to take? And we read different books or listen to different podcasts or go to different conferences or find different Bible studies. All these different ways give me steps, give me procedures, give me the keys to unlocking this bigger or deeper or richer experience of God. What do I have to do to get there? And we're going through and we're buying and selling all these different pearls because we believe one of them will be the key that gives us the joy that we're looking for. In fact, there are people here this morning, I know, who are trying out, and we're glad you're here. And don't, please don't hear this as being condescending. This is how all of us come anywhere. We're trying out a, a, a new place because you've tried others. Some of you have been here for months or years, but you still have this attitude of, well, give me something new to try. And it's really tempting when you're writing a sermon to not, well, let me give you something new to try. Let me give you some other pearls that you can buy and sell. Try this one out. Does that work? Are you feeling closer to Jesus? No? Okay. Sell that one. Let's try this one. Is this one getting you a little bit better? Try this prayer. Try this Bible study. You like that author? No? Okay, here's another one. Let's try. And we just keep trying and trying and trying. We desperately want to find this true beauty But so often, we are looking in the wrong place. We know there's a need, but it never quite seems to be fulfilled. And we don't feel the more, even the more, the more we try, the more we do, the more we pray, the more we read, the more we whatever, And we're not feeling satisfied, we're feeling exhausted. Listen, if religion has left you feeling empty, if if all of your efforts to, to pull yourself closer to God feel like they've really been for nothing, and if you've now begun to feel ashamed of your inability to clean yourself up, if you look around this morning and you believe that everybody else here actually has everything figured out and you're sitting here silently thinking they all know and if they knew about me and understood how much i failed in all these attempts, if that's you, please hear Jesus this morning is saying there is a pearl There is a truth. There is something beautiful that is what you are looking for. And it's the God. It's the truth of His love and His mercy. And it is freely offered to you. And it is not dependent on your efforts. And it is not given based on your merit. It is solely and completely through his love. Now listen, maybe that's not you. Maybe you're not looking for God. Maybe you're more like the guy in the field. You're just going about your day. You've got life pretty well figured out. And the idea of what Jesus is describing here, that an encounter, a true encounter with him, might upend your life, that might, not actually, that might not actually sound all that appealing to you. I mean, do you really want Jesus to transform your entire life? I don't know. But let me ask you this. What if there was something better? I know you've got everything figured out. I know you feel like everything is just perfect. But what if there was something better? I mean, to be honest, that's pretty tempting, isn't it? We want something better. Even if you don't seek for God, even if you're not consciously using or trying to utilize religion, To improve your life? I mean, come on, isn't it still true that there's a part of you that knows there's something more? Or at least wishes there was something more? Isn't there so much of your life, whether you would consciously state it or not, that is really in some ways an effort to fill a hole? There's been a lot, a lot of conversation about this lately, and so I don't feel like I'm saying anything new by pointing this out. I'm just stating the obvious, but we live in a culture that has this sort of never-ending cycle of addiction and denunciation. You know what I mean by that? We get so wrapped up in things that we hate, and we swear them off and then go right back into them, right? Does that describe anything in your life? Maybe not. Um, Uh, let Let me give you an example. Everyone I know who has any kind of social media account says how much they hate social media. And yet they keep going back to it over and over and over again. And we all laugh about it because we're like, this is insanity. And yet there's this part of us that says, but I really need it. And when we have a free moment, we automatically reach for our phones. And then we say, 20 minutes later, I can't believe I just wasted all that time. I'm never going to do that again. And then the next time there's any gap in our schedule, we go right back to it. Is this resonating with anyone? No, it's only me. Oh. The shame it might not be social media for you but there's something in your life that you find yourself going to it may be worse it may seem less insidious I don't know what it is but it's that struggle it's that thing you hate but you just keep going back to it because you don't know any other way to live right And because there's this part of you, again, it's not stated, you would never sit down and have a conversation and say these words out loud, but there's a part of you that believes somehow that going there will give you life. That that thing, at some point, you're going to pull the lever, and it's going to pay out. And yeah, it hasn't worked these last, you know, five years, but this time, maybe, maybe, if I find just the right, you fill in the blank. If I find just the right book, if I find just the right show, if I find just the right man, if I find just the right job, the right car, the right, I don't know what it is for you. But you just keep going back, and you know, consciously, you know, verbally, you would say, that's ridiculous. But you just keep going back because you believe somewhere inside that maybe this time. Because you know, you know there's something missing. And you keep saying that if you could walk away, you would. Except that maybe you wouldn't. Because you need something. What if that something is real? What if there is something that could fulfill that gap? And what if it's Jesus? Jesus is the treasure. Jesus is the thing that you need that you don't even realize you need. But He's better than any of the other attempts we make to give ourselves fulfillment, Jesus is the treasure and Jesus is the way out of that cycle. But how? And that leads us to our third question, which is now what? So what do we do about that? If that's true, okay, so what? What? I mean, we, we have heard the gospel. Is that it? We're done? Do we have to, again, Jesus is telling the story, do we have to go sell everything we own? Is that what Jesus is saying? If we look at our own lives, if we see Jesus here is saying that he's the treasure and that knowing him will upend our priorities, and yet, we don't see that? as being the reality in our lives, what do we do? Do we need to try harder? Well, no, that just puts us right back into the cycle, doesn't it? That's just more religion. That's just more lever pulling. That's just more other pearls. We already know that doesn't work. What we need what we desperately need is to actually see the real treasure, the true pearl, not the imitations. So all this stuff about selling everything, I kind of danced around it a little bit because in a sense, yes, it's saying this will transform your life, but why in this way and what does that mean? So We close this morning. Let's make sure we kind of grasp a hold of what Jesus is really trying to say here. We're all looking for pearls. Whether we know it or not. Whether we would admit it or not. Whether we're looking in religion or somewhere else. We're all looking for something to give value to our lives. Maybe it's time For us to sell all those other pearls so that we can truly grasp a whole of the one pearl. Now wait, you go, wait, that's the exact opposite of what you just said. No, hear me out. What if all those other pearls are getting in the way of us seeing the real pearl? What if we are filling our lives with so much emptiness that we're crowding out any opportunity to fill our lives with what we really need? What if we're not able to truly see Jesus because we've clouded our vision with so much other stuff? Some of it good and some of it bad. And we've spent so much time trying to fix and rearrange all that stuff. But all we're doing is just shifting it around. We're just buying and selling these lesser pearls. And some may be more valuable than others, but none of them compare to the value of the true pearl. What if we were to actually just put down the phone? Close down the account. Cut up the card. Turn down the volume. Walk away from the relationship. Sell the toy. Whatever it is. What if we were to just let the fantasy die? What if, in doing that, we were able to clear our vision and see the real treasure. Now that sounds crazy. Crazy! But look again at the man in the field. He looked insane. Selling everything he had to buy this worthless field. But he knew That within that field, there was a treasure. A treasure beyond all value. That it was worth it all to sell off everything else to grasp a hold of this treasure. What if, in letting go of all those things that we believe are bringing us life, but we know are actually bringing us further and further from satisfaction, what if in letting go of those, we were free to see the one true pearl? I mean, we're afraid, aren't we? When you think of those things you run to, the idea of selling them off, of getting rid of them, of letting them go from your life, that's scary. And it's mostly scary because we believe we're afraid that they will create a hole within us. The truth is, the hole's already there, and they're not filling it. What if God wants the hole there? so that in recognizing it and feeling our own inadequacy in our own weakness we'll more deeply appreciate his strength what if that discomfort that you feel when you're not going to that thing over and over again What if that discomfort could actually awaken in you a deeper desire for God? And what if God wants you to feel that discomfort, not because he's mean or cruel or vengeful, but because he knows in feeling that discomfort, you'll actually turn to the one who can give you true comfort. Is it crazy to walk away from things that are not fulfilling you so that you can find satisfaction in the one place, the only place that will truly satisfy? Let's pray. We'll have some time for reflection and then we will share communion together. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the great sacrifice of your Son, for the beautiful truth of your gospel that we so often ignore, minimize, see as lesser than what it actually is, but God, It's still there and it's still true and it's still beautiful. And thank you, Lord, that your grace and your mercy is not dependent upon anything in us. Not our works, not our merit. Honestly, not even our ability to grasp a hold of how deep and good you are. God, you're so good. We thank you for it. God, please tear away those things that block our vision from seeing you, that keep us from experiencing the full, deep, rich joy that you've promised. Help us to run to you instead. And we trust and believe that you are there, that you love us in spite of ourselves. Reawaken in us desire to know you more in the name of your son Jesus Christ